When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, very exciting pod this week. I mean, they're all exciting, but it's the Girl Farewell Pod. Uh, bef- but before we jump into what happened in Blue Valley, which is very exciting, uh, we do have some CW news. And off the top is that we are doing a Legends of Tomorrow giveaway. We're going to do the whole complete box set, the series. Um, and it starts actually the day that this pod drops on Monday, December 12th. It's a short one, though. You have a week to participate in the giveaway because it ends on Friday, December 16th at 12 a.m. Central Time. We're going to give all the details for a big giveaway on our Twitter account. You want to make sure you follow it. We're at the CW Spiral on Twitter. Um, and of course, you know, love Legends of Tomorrow always. Yeah, no better way to celebrate Legends of Tomorrow than by revisiting all seven wacky, wonderful seasons off it. I feel like December, like Legends of Tomorrow is going to take over December because you have Arguably and then there's also Bebo Saves Christmas, which means Bebo Saves Legends. Like that's the, that's the mindset we're all living in. Oh, I am Tweety Night with that hashtag when Bebo is on because uh, can't celebrate the holidays without celebrating Legends, especially after last year's Bebo Saves Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. So we finally have a premiere date for the Flash season nine and it, is not coming in January, as people suspected. It's coming in um, February, Wednesday, February 8th at 8 p.m. ET. It's sliding into Stargirl's spot. It wouldn't be the CW if it didn't contradict everything I said. I predicted that The Flash might be one of the latecomers because it has the shortest season. And here we are at, with The Flash leading the new era of the pack. And I'm like, it's fantastic that the season's finally starting, but it's starting to feel very real now that the show's starting to end. Um, I cannot wait for it to begin. I think they've got some exciting things, but it's also just very exciting that we have the start of part two of the schedule because again, it's been a long time coming. But yeah, I cannot wait to celebrate with our Central City favorites one more time and enjoy the 13 episodes of season nine. I'm I'm sure it'll be a hoot, probably one that we'll have many, many thoughts about and we will get into that over the air. But yeah, I'm just excited to have the flashback in our lives one more time. Same. I want them to take notes for Stargirl's series finale. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I would like to wrap it up very nicely and give a nice tribute to The Flash by the time it comes to its end. Um, and since it's 13 episodes, we're going to be in and out. Well, presumably there was the whole Superman and Lois season two had 15 episodes and yet we were on the longest ride ever. <laughs> Not that we didn't enjoy it, but it was, the, it was the longest ride. So hopefully The Flash isn't um, doing that. Yeah, I feel like linear storyline, less hiatuses and get to the point and get it get in and out, as we like to say a lot in this podcast. I would just like um, a consistent and enjoyable final season. And again, just like how Stargirl did it. Yes. Speaking of Stargirl, so she's expected to be in Titan season four, part two, right, Michael? 
Yes, this we may have bid for a while to Stargirl the series, but it's not the last we'll see of Brack Bassinger as Courtney Whitmore because I believe season four, part two of Titans is doing a crossover with Stargirl, but it may also be a crossover with Doom Patrol. The rumors came out and said it was a three-way crossover. The report since have only said it's a two-way crossover. So we'll say, but I know that the character, without getting into too spoilery territory, the character of Beast Boy, um, something happens to him where he kind of disappears. And the next episode, his name's Garfield or Gar. The next episode is called Dude, Where's My Gar? And oh, no. I, <laughs> based on set photos, I believe Gar will find his way to an alternate universe and cross paths with Stargirl in Blue Valley High School. So, um, of course, all of us are excited to see it. It's going to be weird seeing what could be Stargirl's potential final season on Titans, but we will take all the content we can get. And if anything, the series finale of Stargirl is definitely more excited to see her in the future. Yeah, I wonder if um, it's going to be uh, Courtney after the events of the series finale or like at a different time period that somehow would make sense in the Stargirl universe, but doesn't um, isn't where she is by the time she ends season three. Mm. Watch them do a completely different Courtney that isn't the same one and it's some another one in the multiverse. Who knows at this point? Um but yeah, I think it'll just be nice to see her. And it, maybe it could be in the 10-year gap between the time jump that we saw in the end of the series finale, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, it would be nice to see her again because uh, you can never have too much Stargirl. Yeah, with the manifesting, if it is another, a different Stargirl that is DCEU Stargirl, mm-hmm. like, and then Brett can just have more roles <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the movies and the other shows. I will take that. <laughs> <laughs> but we should launch into the finale because we watched it out of context for me and Reed. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, this is the most important thing. Are you really out of context? Have I been keeping you up to date uh, well, the whole true. season? What did you guys like, think? Even out of context, I feel like this episode was, first of all, one of the best episodes of television I've watched mm-hmm. ever. Like it was, they did so much. They covered so much ground that I didn't, even though I didn't, you know, even though I'm listening to Michael's uh, reviews and explanations of what's happening, I didn't, I don't, I don't think it was important for me to know everything in context and to just watch it and enjoy it because it works for me without knowing all the ins and outs. I feel the same. It was, we have been on this ride with you, Michael, via your reviews, but it was like different watching it. I know you've been talking about how cinematic it is, but actually sitting there for the hour uh, block, it's like, it really is. Budget was there. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It truly was. They spent some money on this episode. (laughs) Mm. Yes. That's the thing. I feel like with Stargirl, not not to like shed any of the other superhero shows, Superman and Lois aside, not to shed any of the other superhero shows, being on network TV, if season fall into the procedural story of the week kind of format or whatever, Stargirl plays the long game and that is basically just a 13 part movie. It will make you wait for the action, but when it gives it to you, it delivers. And I feel like that really came across because Reed, for example, the previous episode you watched was a very, very quiet one. There was like no action whatsoever in it. And then this one was just like smack down from start through finish. And I feel like they really delivered on all fronts. Yeah, I was overstimulated. And, <laughs> and that's a compliment. I'm not, that's not a bad thing at all. Like there was just so much happening, especially in that big fight scene. I was like, there's so much to look at. There's so many perspectives. There were so many story points going on but it they never felt overstuffed or like they were um trying to do too much mm-hmm. they were doing a lot but it was never too much it was, there's always something to look at a new dynamic changing something was going everything was going on in that <laughs> scene and it was 
I was laughing. I was gasping. I was like freaking out. Not as much as last week on the, <laughs> when we were talking about the penultimate, <laughs> but that scene blew me away. Like it felt like a, a movie. It felt like I was watching a movie. And for an extended fight sequence, it did not feel like you were sitting there for an abundance of time. Like I was exhausted by the end because I was exhausted for them because they were running around and punching, oh, yeah. kicking, throwing ice. Um, but it had so much like heart to it as well as levity and just serious like action happening everywhere. I mean, I also laughed. I said this to y'all. I will not be over how grandma died. I just do it not like the Wizard of Oz shot. I was like, not them doing that to her. And then they moved on. Like, yeah, she's dead. Very, very quite good. Yeah, I that that I was divided about that. I loved the moment when I watched it. I will admit I did I laughed at something serious, but I was a bit divided about that because we talked about Grandma Icicle before. It looked like she was coming around. She was a, a, an emotional wreck when her husband had the heart attack. And meanwhile, now all of a sudden she's like, if you don't kill her, I'll kill you. Very one-dimensional. And then she got Wizard of Oz out of the out of the story. And I mean, it worked, it worked. But like, we did not want to get emotional over grandma dying because we turned her into such a one dimensional villain. It totally worked. It was a great moment. Um, but like, it's it's interesting watching how quick she pivoted back to like the villain kind of uh, story. And I'm glad Grandpa Icicle came through in the end because like we did say he was kind of torn and didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want the fighting anymore. And we finally saw that when Beth sensed the hesitation and the two of them didn't want to fight each other. Uh, And yeah, we have time for Grandpa Icicle, even if uh, we never had really had time for Grandma Icicle. He kind of took me out and like, I related to him because during that fight scene, there was a moment where he was just like standing there and like taking it all in, not knowing what was happening. People were like yelling in his direction. (laughs) I don't don't know. And I'm like, with you there, Grandpa. There's a lot happening. (laughs) He's like, you, you don't want to fight me and I don't want to fight you. Let's not. He's fight. like, what am I doing here? <laughs> He's like, we like, how far have we sunk in that we're fighting in the middle of a junkyard, y'all? Like, stop and take that, internalize that. <laughs> like, but everyone's just doing their thing. Especially Courtney. I loved the sequence when she got the staff back. It was oh very, goodness. I believe in me. And I loved it so much. I said, I, my biggest worry going into this, because it was a season finale and not a series finale, was that we weren't going to get one of those triumphant Stargirl moments and people can call them cheesy or whatever you want. But because she'd lost the staff, because she'd questioned herself whether she was worthy or whatnot, I think we needed one of those moments to end the, not just the season, but the show on. And uh, the goosebumps I got in that moment, I tell you, I love that we were able to stop the bam, 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 bam off the fight scene just to take in one of those lovely slow motion moments, taking the grandeur of Stargirl, if you will, the character and the show, and then go back to the craziness of the fighting. It was just, it, it made time for story beats, even though we practically spent half of the episode in this like nonstop fight scene. And between that, between the grandpa icicles, I don't want to fight anymore, between uh, grandma icicles death, they knew when to stop at the right times. And I just feel like that really came in because you can watch a lot of fight scenes and think, okay, when's this going to end? But I never felt like that with this one. It was just like, it made you, it made the wait for it worthwhile. And yet it still made time for story in the middle of the battle. And I really appreciated that. Does people don't like the cheesiness of, of her big triumphant moments? Because I feel like they should reevaluate. That's the thing. That. I think with, I think Stargirl gets away with it because of its lighthearted and fun tone. Okay. Um, 
generally a lot of people prefer their I'm dark, broody, superhero kind of shows. Whereas I think the reason Stargirl shines shines brighter than any of them is just because it is so lighthearted and fun. Yes, it's written in a mature way in the same way that those like dark, broody superhero shows would be, but it doesn't shy away from the light. It's not a depressing watch. It's a very fun watch. And like you, you guys said yourself, you felt like every lighthearted emotion in, within those space of 40 minutes. And I think that's what superhero content should make you feel. It was just a lot of fun. It was such a triumphant uh, fight scene. It was such a triumphant episode. And uh, yeah, give me those Courtney getting her the staff back in slow motion moments every day of the week. I love them. I think I mentioned this too in the last episode that I watched, but this show writes to character relationships so well that like, this is the second episode of the series that I've ever watched. And I was shipping Courtney and... Cameron is his name, mm-hmm. Icicle Boy, whatever. Yeah. I was like, what are we getting together? What's happening here? And his dramatic exit when he was like done with her with the <laughs> ice thing, first of all, laughed, but I was also like, oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need them to be together. And that the moment when they do, I, I don't want to say get back together because they just hugged. Like they just had each other back in their lives. They kind of just like, right? They kind of like mm-hmm. put everything, kept yeah. everything in the past that felt so special and like there's i had chills and I, I, they didn't kiss right i'm not forgetting that they went very I'm glad that they, with it yeah i'm glad that they didn't because i feel like that doesn't always have to be to be all end all expression of love on tv like it can just be like this isn't we're not there yet we're just gonna mm-hmm. hug it out and it's gonna that's gonna feel as special as a kiss mm-hmm. i love that scene mm-hmm. so much when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was amazing. And I think that's the important thing because that was the last time we saw Courtney in the finale. I think that was important because yes, when, when watching it as a series finale, you might be like, they're not going to have time to get back together. What are we going to do with these 10 minutes? But at the same time, when a scene like that comes across, it came, it came at me very in a very realistic kind of way because at the end of the day, I don't think Cameron's in a place where he can be in a relationship. He needs a lot of help first. And regardless of how he feels about Courtney, she's the person who can help him because she's done this with so many heroes before. And I think that was what it was important because he said, do you really think you can help me? Of course, she didn't answer the question. She ran towards him and gave him a huge hug, which of course is the answer. But I just think there was so much unsaid by that very, very short scene. And we knew what needed to be said by it. It, just, it did all the work more than like dialogue or one kiss or anything could have been. It didn't wrap it up in a neat little bow, but it got the story to where it needed to be. And then you can have the time jump later on, wrap it up in a neat little bow. But the, oh, the time jump. Can we, right. you said it and now I, I need to discuss it. <laughs> we did, we did. <laughs> First we of two, all, there was, there was the three month one where that was, that was Cindy, right? No, that was Artemis and um, the daughter of- Love um, it. Uh, the daughter of the Crocs. Um, she wanted to get vengeance on Icicle for killing her parents. Um, and she did. I was shocked. I was like, oh, we're going to end this show with burning a man alive. Right. <laughs> and, but then they it, hit us with the other <laughs> other one. <laughs> it was very Vampire Diaries. She was having her Julie Peck moment. Oh, <laughs> yes. Just, just up at the top, dramatic. We're at a castle and burns the man alive. Um, so he got his comeuppance. 
Yes, yes. You see when he went, when, when Cameron sent him flying, literally, and we saw the big ice face fly into the sky. I was like, now nah, hold on a minute. We can't end like that. Because while that ambiguous send the villain off, they'll come back at some point. We've seen on the flash countless times with the reverse flash. But because the show had already killed Icicle in season one, letting him loose into the atmosphere in season three would have been a bit of a disappointment when the show needed to end. So I'm glad we did go back there. Listen to me, I sound all murderous. I'm glad he died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I feel like that was an important death. He got away. They were like, is either will he ever come back, whatever. But I think it, of all the characters on the show, it was most important that Artemis was the one that got to kill Icicle because at the end of the day, the way he destroyed her parents and her family who had really made a great deal of progress, that was disgusting. So, I mean, like he got his comeuppance and I'm not sad about it. Um, but uh, it was interesting. It, I feel like if the show had gone on, it would have left Artemis in a place like, can I really be a hero when I just committed the ultimate sin? But the time jump, that takes us 10 years into the future shows us that Artemis did find her way to heroism because when the shed is talking about all of the heroes on the new JSA, he does name drop Artemis. So she got to join the JSA. He also name drops Icicle, who we, I, we can assume was Cameron, got to join the JSA. Of course, he name drops uh, Jakeem Thunder because him and the Thunderbolt pen have now become one. He also name dropped um, Stripe 2.0, which I believe is Mike. He obviously starts operating Pat's robot. And uh, then, of course, we have the rest of the JSA as well. So it was, I really appreciated that scene because even though, first of all, as you know, I love the shed. I've talked about my favorite old fashioned British man for the whole run of the show. I'm glad in the end he actually, he was a villain. He got to redeem himself as well. Now he's like the tour guide of the JSA museum. <laughs> love that. Like a docent. Love that for him. Um, but I, even though Stargirl was not in that scene, I think that scene did an awful lot to show the legacy of the JSA. And at the end of the day, this is the legacy that Courtney Whitmore started. And it was just an incredible scene. It was, it's so nice to think that we could pick up, if, if we ever revisit the story, we could re-pick up in the 10 years between the time jump, or we could pick up after this time jump and meet them all again as adult characters. Because yes, Courtney has become Star Woman. And I did also appreciate that they referenced Dragon Queen, suggesting that Cindy has finally joined the JSA. She beat the allegations. Yeah, she, she did. did. <laughs> she That's did. That girl. <laughs> oh, man. It was so nice. I will say I was a bit disappointed that we didn't get to see more of her in the episode because I feel like the way they all turned on her and doubted her, we could have done with maybe a scene between her and Yolanda, like saying, I'm sorry I doubted you. And Cindy could have been like, I'm sorry for all the horrible things I did to you over the years. But the fact that Cindy showed up at the Whitmore house, it was part of their big festive dinner, I think probably did all the work it needed to. She's officially part of the team now, and that's great. And can we talk about her father becoming a plush gorilla? Like, I mean, I, <laughs> oh my God, yes. I was screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and they are not treating that stuffed animal well. Not that they should. He was awful to her, but like just, does the dog have it during the dinner? Do they have a dog? Someone has yes, it. Yes, yeah. yeah. The Whitmore dog um, was tearing it to pieces. Um, and she was like, hope you're having fun, daddy, which is what she always <laughs> called him. So, I mean, sinister as always, but that's Cindy. And we, I mean, like, that's the kind of like, um, I mean, come comeuppance is not the right word, but that's the kind of comeuppance she deserved because everybody treated her so awfully when she was trying to make an effort. And I feel like she's finally gotten over her issues and uh, she can finally be a hero with the rest of them. But I mean, to go back to the flash forward scene, I mean, like uh, I was very happy to see Jay Garrick show up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, shocked. I was like, what? what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
he broke the table i was so sad about that sorry <laughs> he did, he did. Um, uh, the poor shade went to such effort not to let that break um but uh, just a bit of reference jay garrick was part of star girls jsa um in season one they talked about him they talked about the flash um and then in season two we find out they actually had john wesley chip play him um but that Flash died with the rest of the first JSA. So Jay, the Jay Garrick that knew Starman and knew all of the original JSA, I don't believe is still alive. They're even, they even referenced recently. So the fact that he came through a portal or a wormhole when he destroyed mm-hmm. the table very much, much suggests that this is Arrow versus Jay Garrick slash Earth oh. Primes. Jay Garrick, the one we see, the one you saw in the season finale of the Flash read. Um, well, okay, that one came from twenty forty nine, but that's not the point. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> present <laughs> day Jay Garrick. <laughs> you had me, then you lost me. You gave me too many numbers. <laughs> um, so, and the fact that he said that. The fact that he said we need the JSA made it sound, which Courtney Whitmore tells me you're now a member of Shed, makes it sound like he is not a member of the JSA, makes it sound like this is not the Jay Garrick that we once saw in Stargirl that was a member of the original JSA, which very much suggests like, hi, I've come to from another world to pick up my other Earth besties. Can you come help me with a problem? So could the everyone's now, I think the th- running theory is, could we see Stargirl and the JSA finally make the first appearance on The Flash in its final season? Because that was kind of one of the loose ends tied up by Christ or left open by Crisis on Infinite Earths. It would be, be cool be to fun, see. But do you think them. we're like wishing a lot on the final season of the yeah. flash yeah I know, we yeah. are but you know what they like to stuff things into any if we do like one episode arcs <laughs> and we serve like three to four episodes for them to tie up air versus ends we can still do it that's <laughs> that's true i just feel like i keep seeing like oh well they've tied this up on the flash will they tie this up on the flash and i'm like i don't know guys i got 13 episodes i gotta do their own stuff <laughs> i mean i want it for everybody yeah. i'm just like i swear give me the jsa over team flash any day of the week i would happily watch that <laughs> i'm sorry not sorry um, but yeah, it does feel like the Flash has Green Arrow and the Canary, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Batwoman, um, and now just Stargirl all to tie up. But I feel like Stargirl was left in such a beautifully triumphant place as in a, our work is never done. But let's take this moment to celebrate this victory. And I think when um, the Shade referenced, he referenced the ISA, he referenced Eclipso, and then he referenced the Ultra Humanite, which are the villains of the, of the three seasons. But then he started talking about um, the Nebula Man and the saving the seven soldiers victory which i assume were the stories that the net the future of seasons were supposed to tell and then didn't happen unfortunately because i believe jeff johns had storylined six seasons which shocked me i thought the show could have gone on for four or five didn't expect six to be the option which is kind of awful now because it only got halfway through its run but i mean for a series finale to just not only wrap up the current season storyline, wrap up the storylines that season one and two left open, and then also skip forward and show us what happened to her characters in the future. I just think I couldn't have asked for anything more from a series finale. Um, that's how you do it. And it's pretty funny that this wasn't originally intended to be a series finale. So how does it end up on my favorite list of series finales ever? I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of spectacular. But that's Stargirl in a nutshell for me. Um I am so proud and so happy of that finale. I watched the whole thing with a smile on my face. I know I was supposed to be live tweeting, but I did not touch my phone until the breaks. I was glued to it from start to finish. And I believe I said in a tweet afterwards that that is the ultimate series finale for me because it left me wanting more. And yet it left me feeling completely and utterly satisfied. And I don't think you could want anything else from a series finale of one of your favorite shows. 
Mm-mm. And that it feels like it would live on anyway. Like that um, last title, what, Never the End, was beautiful. Like, I'm not, I wasn't invested in the show, but I got a little teary when it me came too. out. I was like, what are they doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I have to ask, do you think, like, obviously fans would want the show to not have ended with season three, but do you think now that we know these three seasons are the series, at least for now, because they said it's never the end, but I mean, we're not going to hope on that for too long. Um, but as it stands with these three seasons, do you think the series works as a trilogy? Like, do you think the storytelling is like complete within these three seasons? Without a doubt. Yes. This is my favorite movie trilogy. Um, uh, <laughs> I just, the fact like we saw them, I said, I said very much, this was very much a season story about the murder mystery, who killed the gambler. And then halfway through it pivots and all of a sudden the icicle history comes into it. The former JSA versus ISA history comes into it. This very much was not just, um, focused on wrapping up its own story it wrapped up the previous two season stories any of the loose ends we saw Mike get to see his birth mother there and visit her in the diner for that beautiful scene and any he, but he's still called Barbara mom um, I thought that scene broke me I really really got emotional at that one like just one little scene when he called Barbara mom was beautiful we also got to see of course Cindy come become the uh, hero of the story as well um, Mike uh, he we find out in the future that he becomes a member of JSA Jordan got his comeuppance as well. My goodness, what did they do to my man, Starman? That poor man, all he went through. But we did find out in the flash forward from the shed that the JSA did rescue the real Starman to put his brain back in his body. And I assume he retired after that. And I believe me, after what he'd been through, he should have. Um, I assume Pat retired after that as well, now that Mike's taken over a stripe. It just every little loose thread was wrapped up. We also learned that Jenny and her brother, Green Lantern's daughter and her bro- twin brother um, were also both members of the new JSA. The Shade was a member of the new JSA. Every story, every tease, every nod, they referenced throughout those three seasons somehow got wrapped up either in this season or this series finale. And I just think that is the inc- an incredible end to an incredible story. I said that each season of Stargirl feels like a movie but all of Stargirl collectively feels like a movie now and how they pull that off, I do not know. I will absolutely go on record saying here that Stargirl had the smoothest run of all of the Arrowverse shows and that is by far the best series finale that any of them have given so far. We will see if The Flash can match it, but Stargirl has always been in a league of its own and now babbing out prematurely, it continues to be in a league of its own and that is why I'm both satisfied and yet I will miss the show terribly because it's just been so much fun. It's a mic drop right there. Yeah. <laughs> How do we follow that? <laughs> we don't, but the Flash can try. <laughs> uh, but to move on to the Winchesters, which is kind of bringing the moment down, considering how Stargirl was fantastic in a series finale, and the Winchesters fall finale was... It, it happened. It was a thing that happened on our screens. Mm. Um I just feel like there had been so much hype around episode seven that I really thought we were going to be getting something that made us want to continue watching um, come 2023. And I will continue watching. It's just that wasn't how it didn't run how a fall finale would, with exception to the different, I'm going to say cameos at this point, because Tom appeared as Sam Campbell and I stress appeared. I have seen Tom Welling on her screen longer when Clark Kent was super speeding through Smallville. 
that this this with all that five seconds cameo appearance felt like a little bit of a disappointment to me um I will say that I enjoyed everything that happened in the episode, but now to use an example that you both know what we've just talked about it, the Stargirl series finale had a lot to do. And yet within the first five minutes, we were saying how it felt like it was pulling no punches, got right into the story and then still managed to press pause on the story for a 20 minute fight scene and then pick the story back up and still leave you feeling completely fulfilled. I don't have a problem with any of what happened in the fall finale of the Winchesters. I feel like the structure of it knocked it way off course because we spent like the three quarters of the episode very much stood still. And then everything had happened all of a sudden in the last act of the episode. And it left you with no time to ask questions, to wonder, wait, why did this happen? Again, the episode and its developments were fine, but the structure of it left a lot to be desired for me. Yeah, the pacing was unbalanced. Imbalanced? Either one. It was just like not a whole lot happened in the beginning. There was a lot of um, a lot of vague lines and people leaving rooms. And it's like, can we say what? Can we finish our sentences? Finish our thoughts? So we don't we're not watching you leave the room <laughs> for the next scene. Like I don't know that when you when those things happen a lot in an episode, they get distracting. And I I think I was distracted by things that were happening outside of the story, like just like little tiny grievances that you might have with the script or like even the blocking. When I mentioned with you guys, um, this is probably neither here nor there. People probably don't care about this stuff, but you know, it's on our heart. We're going to get it out. <laughs> when uh, I keep wanting to say Drake, when John was talking to Henry and Henry just like randomly walked around and switched places. And I was like, that was the strangest blocking decision. <laughs> he just for no reason turned around. And I know they kind of do that sometimes. It shows to keep like the angles fresh and to like move things around. And I was like, oh, they're going to put Millie in the arch of this. I don't even know where they are anymore. I don't know what this place was, but they're going to, they did that so he can see her when she walks in. And then they didn't really do that. And that scene, I think that moment, I, I'm sure it probably meant a lot more for fans of supernatural to see this character to see these characters interact to see what all this means um but just the way that it was executed i was like oh so why did we move him if that wasn't really like a big like we're all all our breaths being taken away moment like that wasn't really how it played out on screen yeah so there was a lot of um you have to be here and you have to be here and you say this and you leave th this room and then we have to have this moment here like it was it didn't I think we're like 20 or so minutes in by the time the conversations feel like they mean something towards character development rather than just pushing the plot forward. Um, I think I personally, I think I started tapping in when Mary and um, Carlos had that conversation about the ghouls that killed his parents um, and like him getting her to see that this is not her fault um, and how he has to I love how this this show does a lot with talking about how healing is complicated. So like he hasn't necessarily gotten to the point that he believes it's not his fault that his parents died. He's gotten to the point that he understands that it's not his fault, even if emotionally he can't quite get there. Uh, but like there are events in your life that are out of your control. He wanted a guitar. Like it, it's the ghouls who killed his parents. Him wanting a guitar and them being in where the place they need to be in to get that guitar, that's not his fault. Mm -hmm. like, I just really enjoyed how much this show 
takes the time to have these conversations. I just wish in this fall finale that we'd gotten to these conversations a little bit quicker um, yeah. than that we, we had gotten. Yeah, I get that. And I believe, I feel like the Carlos and Mary conversation was one of my favorite moments of the episode as well, because we haven't had, they've had this like such already established dynamic. We never really get to see it on screen anymore. They had that awkward tension in the pilot and then maybe they had a scene where they got over it in episode two or something. Carlos was always paired with someone else. So it was kind of exciting to finally see that scene. And I do feel like that started it somewhat on a high, but then the rest of the episode kind of just stayed in the same place with different dynamics, different conversations. And it only really felt like it started getting going at the scene when John was talking to his father. And I feel like part of that was because Drake delivered such a great performance right before it happened. And that was when you finally felt the moment, if you know what I mean. Um, I felt like, okay, now we're getting finale feels. I'm not sure it really followed through on it, but I did appreciate those little moments between when you did start to feel like the stakes were raised a little bit. And I don't know if I'm fully locked in on the stakes, if I'm being honest. There were some conversations with like, we have to save humanity. And I was like, is it that serious yet? I was so confused. And I know I've said before on the podcast that I'm never going to 100% understand the mythology of the show. And I've accepted that. I'm here for the vibe. I'm here for the characters. I'm going to understand what I can. But when they're having those bigger conversations about the box or like whatever, and I'm like, I don't know. It's just five people in a room. It doesn't seem like the stakes are that intense. Maybe it's just me. I'm not criticizing the show. You guys know I love the show, but I was just like the, it felt like they were more stressed about the stakes as the characters than me as a viewer was just kind of like, or I thought we're just trying to find Tom Welling. I don't understand (laughs) the fall of humanity. (laughs) I'm not super locked in on the stakes of the season long arc. I think. Mm -hmm. Cause I've really enjoyed like this more standalone stories in the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. And then this one felt like it was trying to full circle with stuff that I was kind of uh, patchy with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I'm with you on that. I feel like do uh, Arrowverse examples, CW shows the first couple of seasons always feel like so much great stakes. The Flash season one, for example, end of the world, what are we going to do about it? And then when they get like five or six seasons in, suddenly they're starting to tell us about how it's the end of the world. And you're like, well, I can't see that around you. Unfortunately, I don't feel like the Winchester should be at that stage in its first season yet, because at least the Flash had those previous seasons to hark back to when you felt the stakes. I agree with you. It does feel like suddenly it's gotten very life or death with no evidence to suggest that it is. Maybe if we had got to spend more time with the Akrita themselves, we could have seen that. But we they did te- some. They had Bridget Regan show up, deliver some beautiful one-liners. But like she's been very far and few between throughout the season. I feel like they yeah. haven't been making the most of her. And that takes us right into this episode when I feel that again, they did not make the most of her. No, she just no. collapsed. And I was like, is that it? <laughs> it was no. so, like you would have thought because she's a radio DJ, right? That mm-hmm. we would have been having a storyline about mind control, about like turning like at least Lawrence, Kansas. I think that's where they are um, against the hunters in a way or like manipulating events to change the course of how things are being run in the town. But instead it was kind of like, yeah, she's Roxy the DJ, but she's not really DJing that much. Like we saw mm-hmm. her play in the songs and, and whatnot, but um, unfortunately, with Bridget's character, it felt very much like we were going for like aesthetic. It was very like she is a '70s villain, and that's as far as we got with her. Which is an, which she is fantastic as a villain, yeah. and so the fact that she was wasted in the Winchesters, unless she's coming back, maybe perhaps mm-hmm. like they, she will 
she will end up being the queen, not Roxy, but somehow we still just look exactly like the queen. <laughs> yeah. queen is That's what I to thought look. too. I was like, this can't be the end of this actress who is like a big, like she's a fixture on this network. Like we've seen her play a villain in so many shows. Like this can't be the end. I was like, is she going to come back in another form? I, I, I don't know. I just... I don't want to believe that it's the end for Bridget Regan because she's so good. And I don't think yeah. we got nearly enough of that character. Yeah, mm. I have to say that she's a phenomenal villain. I know we've said it before, but she's also phenomenal at making all of her villains different so that they don't feel like the same character. Because you could say that on paper that's being typecast as a villain, but no, all these villains are completely different characters. Um, she was the main villain of, I think, of all of season one of seasons of Agent Carter. And she was an utter joy and an utter delight. But yet you still wanted Agent Carter to defeat her on Batwoman. She was only in three episodes as Poison Ivy, and yet she was the lead of those three episodes. You cared about Poison Ivy. You really wanted her to succeed. So, but because she only had a limited role of three episodes, you were like, oh, I want more of her. Where does it go from here? So when I find out she was more of a recurring character on this and she could be more spread out throughout the season, I was like, okay, finally we get to see more of her. And we got to see less of her than we did on Batwoman. And I feel like that was um, a failure to capitalize on her talent. Again, maybe I'm judging wrong, but that last scene of the finale felt very much like a scene out of Alien where they're looking at something and the queen is actually going to be a giant one of those spider creatures or whatever. Oh, I hope not. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> she might be. Um, and the, um, it, that didn't give me the feeling that it should because I wanted a shadow or something. It literally looked like they were standing looking at nothing. And I was like... I know, I was like, cut, turn the camera around. I want to know. <laughs> Show me. <laughs> so I don't know. If it's like... A, I will say one thing I thought that was quite good was they very much set this up like Stranger Things, the mind flare, the hive mind, that they all exist together and that they all have this collective consciousness. That's a good catch. Yeah, Yeah. I I think that's beautiful. But look at how Stranger Things did it and then look at how this did. I think the episodic format is letting this down because we have to get through this story. We have to get through that story. And then they just like weave these little parts in between and you never fully get the gravity or the stakes that that a show like Stranger Things would have been able to employ with that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because the people in the... I'm just going to call it a cave because I'm not even really sure where they are. Um, that took me out, you know, watching them dig and dig mm-hmm. and dig. And I, was, I know the creator were taking over bodies, but I didn't know it was to the extent that we were putting together a labor force to like dig things up for this queen because the creator are trying to find a new world to live on. Like, I feel like the stakes are supposed to be high. The stakes don't feel high. Mm-hmm. Like it, the, the stakes felt high with Sam, right? Because um, Mary found the bloody bag and she is and because he was being held captive, even though that didn't really take too long for them to get him out of that situation. But in any case, again, like, when he appeared and he saves John and Mary, that felt very um, big and emotional. And it was great to see Mary back with her father. But it just felt as if we need to dig into more emotional stakes besides John and Mary in the parents. Mm-hmm. What did we think about the kiss? Rush. Rushed, yes. Um, yeah, on paper, I think that is a genius thing to force them together. But in this episode, I feel the execution let them let it down. I did again all down to the performances. Drake definitely the way he looked at her like softly. It was like it was like, is this a normal night for you? And then then Mary smiled. It was like most days or whatever. I think that scene absolutely was fine, but the build up and the getting there and the leading to it. I feel so bad for this episode or at the same week as Stargirl because I'm going to keep referring to it. We said Stargirl <laughs> did so much without doing too much. 
I actually don't think this episode of the Winchesters had that much to do, and yet it took too much on, I think. We had uh, Tom Welling, we had the Akrita's big showdown, we had the, the the reveal of the Akrita Queen, we had, and then the first kiss, and I just feel and like... Henry, too. Yeah, very true, yeah. Because they pressed pause on the first half of the episode, the second half had to work overtime, and I feel like every single one of those select moments were fine, but none of them carried the stakes they should have, because we spent too long stuck in the same place in the first half of the episode. I almost wish they hadn't kissed and I thought they weren't going to. I thought it was going to, because they haven't had any like near misses, right? Where they were like about to kiss and Mm -hmm. then they got interrupted. Mm -hmm. Like they haven't had any of those like classic, will they, won't they almost kisses. And I thought we were going to get that. And I would have been fine with it. I would have been so thrilled to be teased with them about to kiss and then they get interrupted by something. But instead, it just was like they were having a weird conversation. And then all of a sudden it was just kiss. And I was like, and I, I love these characters so much. And I don't feel anything in this moment. Well, it, <laughs> I'm glad it happened, but I, like, I, I didn't want it to happen in this episode. Well, it felt know. kind of like a, um, like a last minute decision. Like it was going to be an almost kiss. And then they're like, no, no, just have them kiss. That way we can like progress forward into the rest of the episodes where they'll be navigating what this means for them. But it just felt, and this might be because there was an extended fight scene, which was amazing, by the way. Like Drake and um, mm-hmm. uh, Meg truly did that. Yeah. Um, like they, sh- I, they were excited about that fight sequence and they should have been because it was fantastic phenomenal but because there isn't there was extended fight scene then you had um Bridget Regan's character Roxy like having her last like moment and then those two go running you're, you're like you got two seconds to get Mary and John in an emotional place to kiss and then Sam comes in through the door I'm like I just can we breathe <laughs> like, like there's just it is a structure issue it is because they spent too much time pushing pause mm-hmm. on the first half of the episode that by the time you get to the end everything has to just be like boom 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 except mm-hmm. the the ending scene got to breathe i don't really know why that yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like they're leaving that as the big cliffhanger and i was like oh, guys uh, we just wanted to see tom Wallin at this point that you gave him five seconds off and that would have been a decent cliffhanger but uh, yeah i don't know i feel like this show takes so many cues from buffy in the early seasons of smallville and back in that generation and that era 40 minutes was not too short for an episode. I find a lot of modern CW shows feel like, or modern network TV shows feel like 40 minutes is too short for an episode. And I just think that's a structure issue because so much happened in that second half, but yet there wasn't enough room for any of it to breathe. So it left you wanting a little bit more and not in the right kind of way. It just wished, it made you wish they had a little bit more time to breathe with some of these important developments. And I feel like that's kind of what I felt with the finale, which is pretty funny because the first half of the episode was so slow moving. I just feel like it wasn't balanced right. And like Reed said, the pissing was off. Like we said, the structure has not been, wasn't right. I feel like all the stars could have aligned, but they just didn't for me on this episode. Mm-hmm. I think once again, Michael hit us with the mic drop. I want everyone to go rewind and listen to what he just said. About <laughs> the timing of broadcast television. Like that was like the most profound thing and the most uh, precise criticism of modern television that I don't think anybody's written that yet. And I think it's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I think <Yes>. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we should jump to Horseshoe Bay because we're not going to um, beat that mic job. <laughs> Michael, I think this is an episode of mic jobs for you. And which... he deserves it. It's his... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I have to think of a good Nancy Drew line now to close his eye. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> yes. 
we did do another double feature. So you are getting episode four and episode five and to kick things off with episode four. Let's talk about the fans in. Oh, I don't, okay. Now they are blending in together at 205 and 204, but what happened in 204 with them? So um, this is a whole thing where everyone is having a crisis because they think they're going to die. So George makes her sister um, be a waitress at the restaurant. And so Nick pulls George back from the ledge and is just like, I need you to know that I love you because you need to know that someone loves you. And it felt as if, okay, we're here, um, especially in the context of, I don't know if y'all caught the line with her sister, Jessie, but it's only been a month since the, 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 the blood bucket. So where he has oh wow oh <laughs> <laughs> so he's with Nancy they broke up he was sad about Nancy got with George they revealed their relationship and now we're at I love you it could only have been two and a half weeks at the most <laughs> wow that's wild when you put it like that but I will say again the Winchester's picked a very bad week for its finale um it didn't feel like it had some sticks that it shut off. And I will say credit to the Nancy Drew writing team, because even with the fact that we are feeling a little front loaded and a little rush here, you felt the sticks. You understand why someone feels the need to say, I love you, like right before a life or death situation. And between these two episodes, the life or death situation was high. Mm -hmm. It definitely was. They um, had us feeling that in both of the episodes. You're right. It does blend together in terms of like, Mm -hmm. you feel like you can't talk about four without talking about five but the context for why Nick tells George that he loves her I thought was beautiful because she is someone who did not hear it before so to have mm-hmm. someone um say it to her and yes in the context like we are going to die but also you know that like you need to hear it mm-hmm. not to mention um we don't do the typical she doesn't say it back and then he gets in his feelings and then we have to spend the rest of the episode where she comes to terms with being able to say I love you he just like you know what I love you more for not being able to say it back it's in it's on brand for you we'll, we'll just we'll just wait <laughs> <laughs> I am kind of like um reserved on Nick and George because I I don't think it needs to be the exact polar opposite of his relationship with Nancy for us to like understand the relationship but it, I think it would be a little bit more helpful like that scene where um Nancy finds the the ghost vision goggles and Nick was like the engineer of them and she's like when did you get so into this and he ends up saying like you never asked and I'm thinking like do we see George asking those questions about him I'm not sure that it's like like is she is George providing the um like the attention that Nancy did not give to him to make this relationship different? I think that was a question I had in two oh four with that mm-hmm. moment in particular. But I was also like, why are we still shaming Nancy about the place she was in and her relationship with Nick? Like, why is she still catching strays? As much as she might deserve them, I was like, I don't think we need to continue to unpack Nick and Nancy's relationship mm-hmm. with slights comparing it to maybe even George's relationship with him. I don't know. That scene was really loaded to me when I, that line was so cutting. I loved it. Right. Don't get me wrong. I, it was such a cutting line to for Nancy to confront like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't ask you any personal questions about you because <laughs> I was too consumed with my own stuff. Um, but just largely looking at the the relationships big picture i was like what are we getting at here with continuing to 
make Nancy face this? Like, is it any different in his new relationship? That was the big question mm-hmm. I had in 204. And it does feel that she's grown a lot. She still has her issues and that's fine. She's been through a lot. She's, she's dealing with them. But yeah, I've, maybe it's just because Nick's such a nice character. I was like, oh, that was mean all of a sudden. <laughs> um, uh, and I know. I mean, Stitt, he was honest too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I know the truth can hurt and everything, but it did, it did feel like that. Not that they'd gotten past it, but they were moving through it. And then that suddenly felt like a throwback. And we'll get to the argument they all have in the fifth episode right before it all goes down. I know tensions are running high and everything, but it definitely, it felt like, why would you say that? I don't know. I I, I know what you mean. It's hard to make with the comparison with George because we don't get to see as much time of them on screen. The show devoted an awful lot of time to Nick and Nancy at the start. And it is yet to do that with Nick and George. It's getting there, but it's yet to do it. Yeah, it just that kind of wow took me out. And I, again, I know tangents are running high, but Nancy's just doing what she can to save y'all's lives. <laughs> Give her a break. Yeah. Well, also because I think the the when George does ask a question on screen, and it does happen um, in the previous season, she asks after he says something that would make you ask a question. So she did it. The Nancy has it's the same context. You did a thing that she wasn't aware that you were able to do, and therefore she asked about it. I, even as a juicing shipper, uh, I do have to say, and this it does have to do with episode five as well. Nancy and Nick need to unpack their relationship away from everybody else. Because <laughs> at this point, because I'm like, why are you? Why? Well, more so with Nick, because Nick clearly has some baggage that he and Nancy need to talk through mm-hmm. personally, where nobody else can see. Hopefully, off screen. Because stop it. Like I love them, but as like you decided to move on, I don't think you get to like keep. She doesn't. She should not keep catching strays over things that you have yet to bring to her attention about your feelings about them. I love him, but like, sir, you're with George now. We need to (laughs) (laughs) like. And they always have like George be very understanding. I was like, you need to ask him some questions about how he feels about Nancy because we're a little still too raw. Yeah, we're tiptoeing around that, George. I think maybe we need to we need to heal. We all need to heal. Yes. <laughs> Pull up the yeah. red table for these three. <laughs> yes. So this this whole like this two episode arc though was about healing as well. Um, they gave us a very emotional story for a debt, which they started seeding in the um, in episode four. Uh, that whole sequence with Agnes in the basement to try to figure out what's going on down there. The fact that she's trapped in the base, still living through the trauma of being um, locked away and then being told that she's going mad when everyone knows that she's not, when she knows that she's not. So therefore she does end up going mad. My heart broke for Agnes. Agnes wasn't doing anything, but enjoying some jewels. She didn't realize that she got through murder. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, the way that story came about. And I feel like this show has done such a good job with its compelling storylines, but it also, it leans very easily into the whole horror sequence in as well. And that there's scene of uh, Nancy and Bessa down in the cellar where they, they couldn't get out. Horror movie 101. It oh was terrifying God. at times. And sometimes when a show does the emotional story, which is done with Lucy, it can also play very well with the, the more fun, one-dimensional side of store side of villains. And it's done that in the past as well with some of the demons or whatever they fought. I honestly thought the Aglica was going to be that. So the fact that they've managed to come up with such a like deep and powerful backstory that makes you feel so much far in such a short, short space of time. Again, credit to the writing team because even though you're like, oh, go away, every time the Aglica showed up, you're always like, oh, when you find out what was what, why she became yeah. that, if you know what I mean. 
I know I I uh, took some shots at the Aglaika last week. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I do kind of still stand by, which like Aglaika, just mind your business, girl. But it, I do like how heavy and deep the storyline is. It kind of makes sense because this show does such a careful job at unpacking the generational trauma in this town that is so connected. And I think there's a larger metaphor if I were to really get like intelligent about it and like write a college thesis paper be like um something about like how this show has a like a, a metaphor about like trauma and all of the ghosts and demons in this town there's something really 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 rich below the surface in the subtext in the show mm-hmm. and i think after the lucy stuff and now with the, the agnes odette aglaika it's like wow they're really telling such a powerful story that is still fun to watch and not completely devoid of any levity or joy they're trying to say something they're trying to tap into things that do have very real roots in our countries around the world um that's probably giving the story way too much credit um it's not that deep but the stories are deep and they go really deep and there's this trauma that's coursing in every corners of this town and it affects all of these characters at this little seafood diner (laughs) it's like it's when you like really piece it together and look at it all it's like wow it's it all impacts all of them in such shocking and striking ways it does there it seems like Nancy Drew is very much about the power of stories your personal story and how that can be changed by other people and outside influences and yes, sometimes by people's perceptions of you, but in this case, when it comes to a lot of these ghosts, it has to do with the way that they are dehumanized in their death. Yeah. Uh, and like people steal from them. I love the moment where Nancy like um, disrupted the, not, I guess he's not a historian, but the, the tour guide mm-hmm. who has one vision of how history went and thinks that any other facts are irrelevant. And she's like, they're not, she's not, she was not, first, she wasn't that man's wife. Second, she did all these other things that have nothing to do with him. He's like, oh, cute factoid. And I was like, that's not, it's not a factoid. It's the truth. And you should know more about Odette or like, I kind of love that character and I hope he comes back for him and Nancy to lock horns again in like season three for just like another episode because it would their dynamic was so fun. Yes. <laughs> he was <laughs> exasperated with her. He's like, but perhaps you will actually go read some more materials. <laughs> <laughs> and then he thought he was disrupting his terror, but then all the people were like, oh, look, it's the true crime girl. Love that. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I will say something about like, you know, where you can see the plot. So like the fact that the book isn't behind a case, the hymnal, uh, like it's a very you old just hymnal. just put it down and left the room and it's like, Nancy's yeah. smarter than you, guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just sitting with it so no one's ever stolen that hymnal ever. It's not behind a lockbox. Like just... He deserved it at that point. <laughs> he did. He did. But I, he'll have to come back at some point. We're always working with the historical society as it is. So she will be back for this man's information that she will <laughs> question and also provide him more facts with. <laughs> uh, but I do think that, like, to go back to like generational trauma or um, in truths that are uncovered, it was really nice how they've done a very slow means of having Nancy heal but also letting her dads be a part of this adventure but not with her mm-hmm. with Ace <laughs> so the road trip between Ace and her two dads fantastic oh, 
Poor yes. He thought that was such a good idea at the start and then being stuck in that awkward silence. I love the fact he said, let's play a game and what if about the farmer and his chicken. And like they really ran with the metaphor. And I think yes, didn't think it worked, but I think uh, some of that got through to the two of um, Carson and Ryan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, S is a genius. We love S. I loved, I don't, I can't remember now the conversation between Ryan and Carson happened in four or five, but that they do have this one um, conversation. I think it was in 205 now. I don't know. We'll find out when I say it. When they finally kind of like realize like, oh, we have a common goal. And that common goal is to care about Nancy. So like anything that happened in the past probably should not be continued to be dredged up and hurt this girl anymore. Like we can have our differences and keep that, you know, like, but just like put the weapons down, white flag. We both care about this girl and that's all that should matter. And I thought that was a really powerful and nuanced scene. It didn't hit us over the head. I, I, at least I didn't feel like it was like whacking me over the head with like a quick, like we need to get these guys to be friends. Um, I don't think they are friends, but I thought that was something very necessary and crucial to Nancy as you said, come into her own healing about this. Like she, even that scene she has with Carson where she's like, I don't like you right now, but I need you and I do love you. And eventually I'll catch up with the feeling that I'm feeling now, but I just need to exist in that moment where everything was okay. Mm -hmm. So the scene that you're talking about with Ryan and Carson is 204. Mm -hmm. It comes after they have that argument about um, where Ryan calls himself her real father and Carson says to be a father, you have to actually be a father. Uh, so then they, Ryan thinks about that. Uh, Carson apologizes actually, because he took something from Ryan. And so that I think is the catalyst for why Ryan will speak to Nancy. And they have that lovely moment where he, he lets her be abrasive because <laughs> that's kind of just a part of her personality, but he helps her solve the puzzle. And, um, she admits that, yeah, I am actually mildly interested, which we know she's more than mildly interested in, in learning about Ryan. And um, but and they have that lovely moment together. I, this show is just so good, letting Nancy feel how she feels and then slowly working the story toward her being able to be in a place where she can open her heart, at least a crack the door for both of her mm-hmm. dads. It was really great. Ryan was helpful. He apparently leads music <laughs> and she didn't need him <laughs> after that. Like once he said it, it was musical notes, she dismissed him, but <laughs> it was just nice. She was like, yeah, we're all, we're all done here <laughs> for now. <laughs> I that blessing me was so um, happy that he was able to offer up some kind of assistance. Cause I feel like sometimes he's always a bit overwhelmed by how smart these kids are. And he feels a little bit like they're just coming to him because he's got influence or that he has money or whatever, but he never gets involved in the nitty gritty of it. And so it was nice to see that, but also it was also impressive how like quickly he pivoted from, yes, I helped to ringing Carson and saying, okay, something's definitely going on here. We need to solve this problem. And it was, it was very, it was, they use humor very well because the whole situation in the car suddenly turned into S not being able to answer his phone on time. So they put Nancy on speaker and then they're like, <laughs> what? And that's when they figured out there was something clearly wrong there. So yeah, it was, and I think that's what ultimately they enforced them to work together. 
it's it's such a unique dynamic because we did say how Ryan suddenly turned into this like great like soap villain or like I'm going to use this all against you if I want to but at the same time he also wants to be a realistic father and so so where do you meet in the middle with that and I feel like this episode kind of did that well because they had the little like stupid argument at the start and then they realized hold on we can actually help this girl here and then that bleeds very nicely into the next episode when they're literally following her. <laughs> Yeah, so we should just jump to 205 because that car sequence where it gives you insight into Ryan's character too and how much how his sense of how to be a parent is completely warped thanks mm-hmm. to his own parents. Because he casually like, yeah, my dad hired a pet PI to follow me around. He's like, that's not normal. Oh, well, I'm like my dad, like that had initiative to trick, like to, <laughs> to pay the PI. And he's like, I'm going to get you some parenting books. Like, we, <laughs> we're going to fix this. But the, they aren't friends, but it is nice to see that they are very much like look we are the parents in her life we have to figure this out we're going to protect nancy so we're going to tolerate each other but in tolerating each other you can kind of see that they're seeing more sides to one another than they had previously Mm -hmm. i think that carson is really seeing how much ryan probably would have been in nancy's life had he been given the opportunity Mm-hmm. It was very much an uneasy alliance at the start, and it's still kind of like that, but it feels like it's becoming a little bit easier of an alliance the longer it goes on, if that makes sense. It just it feels mm-hmm. like they're finding common ground and working through it. And I think that's kind of that's been a running theme with this show in general. So it's going to be really intriguing to see how they balance this kind of new normal. I'm sure they'll they'll end up butting heads at some point again in the future, probably many, many times, but it's just I'm they're becoming very useful in their own ways to, to Nancy without even realizing that. And I think as she starts to like her more care about Carson again, realize that understand why he did what he did and then grow to care about Ryan. It's going to be really interesting to see how that dynamic develops. Nancy continued to get uh, confronted with difficult truths when the whole gang, I feel like we had been, growing to this point like this didn't it didn't feel like it it did kind of feel like it came out of nowhere but when i thought about it i was like no they've been feeling this quietly secretly probably for the duration of the series like you have to stop and realize like oh we're in this mess because of this person (laughs) like she she's the catalyst for the agleka she got us mixed into this as much as we made our own choices to be involved like we're still like we have a death clock running because of a decision she ultimately made and I think there's a fairness to it and there's an unfairness to it. Um, and Nancy does what she does best. And she's like, no matter how you feel, I'm still going to save your lives as best as I can. And it was kind of hard to watch them all fall apart like that. Yeah, I thought it was unfair because they did make their own decisions, at least in terms of like the like that. Like if it had been a situation in which... Nancy was told not to do something and she did it anyway I could understand but as I know this is this has gotta like you said Reed have been brewing and obviously with the death the death clock like ticking down to zero there isn't time for reflection on that there's only time to point the finger um, and assign blame to the person that y'all are always looking to for answers in the first place because she's like even so they did all that and then I think then she was like, uh, I think it was Bess, late when something didn't work out. She's like, now what, Nancy? I was like, okay, but you were yelling at her at the top of the episode. Yeah, to see Bess get involved. I'm like, you're usually the peacekeeper, the one that's like, we all need to stay together. I'm like, Bess, <laughs> <laughs> come back. <laughs> 
it was it's been interesting to watch that all of their dynamics develop but nancy's kind of gone from this like uh lone warrior to um kind of like the reluctant leader of the group and now as this series has gone on she, it's less reluctant um, she gets things done regardless and she does look after them even if she doesn't always like wear her heart on her sleeve in the way that maybe Bess would but so it was still kind of hard to see them all suddenly turn on her because she she uh, waded her way into that conversation to try and be the peacekeeper that she somehow turned into and then they all kind of turned on her and I don't think th- there was no side of that like quadrant of them that didn't like throw an insult at one another and it really worked because the tensions were running high as like that the cracks were starting to show fear was making them do horrible things but I think they never really like fully apologized for it but I think the reason it worked so well is because it nicely led into how even in their final moments they, they were the four people they wanted to call up and talk to when they thought they were going to die um they didn't need to apologize for it because they knew that within this last however many weeks or months they had become each other's people and they were the family they wanted to spend those last few moments with best said their family yes yes <laughs> she said what i wanted them to say but then yes. george denied her hug and i was like george come on you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is one hug but no, that that whole sequence was very was very lovely and of course it started because best made the phone call um, i like the, the the conference call that they're all on which is still has like a um tension in it but there's such there's such a beautiful vulnerability with nancy as she's you can hear the tears as she's like talking to them and i'm like i want i know you all not gonna apologize but i want everyone to apologize to nancy because even if there was some truths in there like she didn't deserve all of that uh but i just i guess it was necessary even though out of everybody nick and nancy do need to like have a conversation off to the side about some things because it was i don't think their relationship was all about her mom's grief but i mean her grief over her mom but Okay. Uh, you know, I Ace Ace saying that, I was like, Ace, that was kind of, okay. Well, it was insightful. Like, it wasn't even, he didn't even say that with, like, um, malice behind it. He was like, this is what happened. Yeah. He laid it out plainly, and I was like, okay, okay, Ace, see you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let's just get to the root of the problem. Um, but it just was, it's, their connection is lovely. And I am glad that they said that they're, that they're their family and well there was well i was gonna say there was a hug it wasn't one george wanted but nancy gave it i think the whole sequence at the end not to skip past nick like tricking me a but the whole sequence at the end you know where they find out it's love that they need to use in order to defeat the agleka and they read um her letters to the do they name the english woman oh i don't think so did they i'm not sure i don't think so Okay. Well, the love Odette had for the English woman with no name, um, that she, that that was their means of being able to bring her back to the person. I love that they separated Odette from the monster that the Eglika is, that it was Mm -hmm. betrayal and suffering and how she died that turned her into a monster, but she, she herself is not. Um, and then they are all just yelling in the in love yelling quotes from her love letters at her, even in French for Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that is how we get to Odette. Though I'm so sorry to George in her her stomach because getting impaled by the harpoon was just that My. scene was shocking. But the acting, mm-hmm. 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 the whole cast when nick was like stay back stay back i was like oh we're we're acting mm-hmm. 
acting with a capital yes. ting. Like I was like, <laughs> it's usually we're going off about Kennedy, but it was like really the whole cast, like um, Madison, that's that's his real name, name in real life. She she's usually the one with the with the quick quips on the side, but she was every cut to her just losing it. I was like, oh, she's we can always see how we feel through best because she's like the she's our eyes and ears of any character. She's she and Ace are like our eyes and ears. And to see them fall apart. I know. Oh my God. It was an intense sequence. I oof, that was hurt. The length mm-hmm. to which Nancy went to go save George should we're granted that is what's going to set off the next part of the plot because in mm-hmm. her desire not to lose her friend she didn't care about anything about those lock boxes and just turned off the electricity and stole that shroud mm-hmm. but she brought her back I think there is there was a I love that the the amount of love in the room was transcendent like they're all love George. And so they're all having an emotional reaction to her. Ace trying to help Nick and Nick not being able to be allowed help because he's just emotionally gone. The, Nancy running into the room, still crying, throwing the shout over, shout over her and crying on George when she thought it didn't work. And then hugging her. <laughs> like once, once George wakes up, she's like, Ugh, okay, no. I was like, girl, you were dead. <laughs> George is like, what did I miss? Um, you, know, but you just felt utterly exhausted watching that scene just because of how utterly exhausted by grief they were. Just, oh my goodness. That it day just, on set must have been an, oh, right. like, crazy. Oh, man. It's just like, it felt endless. And you, you, we've seen episodes after this. We knew George shouldn't die, but like in that like moment, you genuinely believed she had. And it's just like everything, like everything we talked about Stargirl wrapping everything up everything the blood bucket it all came to pass in this one episode you were just like they didn't overcome it Nancy found a way around it but they didn't overcome it in the end and I also think that was such an important like character moment for Nancy because the mission has always been her priority and even though the mission was technically over at this point logic or nothing played into this she was going to save George she started seeing she had she had started seeing the people throughout her whole journey here and now she didn't care about anything else other than saving her friend and that was so so powerful and I just thought that was such a great moment for her and just great development for the show in general and it does kind of tie into what their fight was about because their fight was like you know the risks but you still called to the Aglaica and you put us in this position. And then again, like she knows the risks because the woman at the historical society told her, like, we don't know what kind of like darkness these things can unleash. Like, we're not just mm-hmm. going to open them up and tinker around with them. Like, we're like this, they're back there for a reason. So Nancy kind of knows the risks of putting the shroud on George and bring her back to life. But she, she is willing to take that risk again because. I think she could have done two things. She could have just been like, if we let George die, this could all potentially be over officially. Um, And I think that when she doesn't make that choice, she's hopeful that the risks will not outweigh the reward of bringing George back and not ending their story like that. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how they react to the aftershocks of this decision that, Nancy made without again consulting them. <laughs> yeah, well, especially because it seemed like in her panic, um, and then the relief of George being back, she, she forgot about what was said about not knowing what the consequences would be of that action. It seems like the one of the consequences is that Odette is still around, and mm-hmm. 
perhaps George is possessed by her. She was, she couldn't speak a lick of French. And she's um, singing it and then yeah. in the mirror, but it was, she's in the mirror after George walks away. So I was curious about that. Like, is she in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, uh, wasn't it Mac? That character was trapped in the mirror at one point in the show. So I feel like there's definitely little teases and references to what we saw previously in the season. But what I was going to say was, I keep going on about how this season got ended prematurely or the first season got ended prematurely. And you're like, where was the original end point of that season going to be? Was the Iglesia going to turn into the big bad after they solved the Lucy's murder? Because it was very much just like, unintentionally genius timing that the season ended just as it's uh, solved Lucy's murder but that was not the initial plan the season was supposed to go on for longer so would this have been the original finale because all I got throughout that entire episode was finale 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 feelings mm-hmm. not only did they like meet the uh, George brother blood bucket destiny they um, uh, tied up uh, tied up the Agleka issue the Agleka is no longer the primary threat and then we leave the episode with that little teaser. Love the teaser by the end of Nancy turning around. Yeah, the camera. I was like, did you hear that? Nancy, yes. who are you talking to, girl? <laughs> she broke the fourth wall. It was right. great. Did she look at us? I couldn't tell. She's looking at us. Like, wow. it's her eyes are a little off though so I was wondering as well but I think she's looking at us like that, like that would have been a great season one finale you know what I mean so I feel like yeah. that could have worked as a season one finale because whatever goes on from here all of, the worst case scenario is, is going to be aftermath of what happened before I do feel like the Luce and Agleka storylines for the most part have been wrapped up so this I feel like this was where season two was supposed to start and that leaves me like if we've technically a clean slate now, we don't know which one of these demons or monsters could be the main story. Or is this where the villain of the week thing will come in? Will we see more of them throughout the season? It does make sense, Michael, because the season has 18 episodes and this is five. If you subtract five from 18, you get 13. Right? Mm. I did the math right? Yes, yes. 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 So this could you, have been the next. Season one was 18. If you add five, that's. 23 i don't know the math maths at some point <laughs> well they would have so they probably 204 and 205 would have happened without in one episode and so some of the scenes would have been condensed down or probably mm. entirely removed so that would have been fine i would have still ended up with 22 um but i do think yeah i think the math is mathing that that is where we would have <laughs> we would end it to season two before we leave Parachute bay though to go to our toast i do want to mention that um ace made a call to the person in witness protection and he thinks that he's their brother so that's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. story plot yeah very much so we don't know much about yes we don't really know that much about his family but again that feels like another one of those great season one cliffhangers that would be and be carried on in season two so i feel like we're going to learn more about S, and i think all three of us are totally on board with that mm-hmm. absolutely Yes, I'm on Hardy Boy Watch now, just to see whether or not he ends up being a Hardy Boy. We'll see by the end of of the series. Uh, But before we wrap up the pod, we do have to give a toast to Stargirl and her reign on on the CW. Our cosmic queen started on DC Universe when that then when that service went under. She made herself or made her way over to the CW just as a CW original series. And it may, I know everyone was worried about the fact that uh, would a DC Universe streaming quality television show be able to sustain itself on network TV? Well, it did. Season two and season three were every bit of cinematic as season one. The budget was there. The story was there. Every this is and never will be an inherently CW show. And I think that's why it shines brighter than most of the stuff on the network. It has been a joy to watch for the last three seasons. Um, yes, I'm including the DC Universe one there. And I 
don't know how I will cope without it because it's been such a joy to, I've needed it in my life at times. It started right around the time when the world was a scary place. We had this like 13 episodes of traditionally comic book show just to get lost in. And it's just gone from strength to strength throughout. I will miss it a great deal, but I am so satisfied by not just season three, but the final episode. What an adventure it's been to Stargirl. The Stargirl, my monk. Cheers. Cheers, Stargirl. Keep Stargirl's memory alive. Watch it. Make it a cult classic and bring it back in 20 years. (laughs) Oh, yes. When the JSA is fully grown. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that is it for this pod episode, this special, special pod episode dedicated to Stargirl and the Stargirl fandom. Um, Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube. Hit that notification bell so you can get notifications of when our videos drop. We are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.